0: The Gospel reading today is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. Matthew, chapter 13, starting in verse 1. That day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such crowds gathered around him that they got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to show a seed. As he was gathering the seed, some fell upon the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed Fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once rejoices. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred 60 or 30 times what we've shown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: I know that John told us to keep our cell phones off, but I'm going to put my timer on. Is it okay? It's for your protection. Mm-hmm. I have a habit of not sticking to time. Look, if I get to like 34 minutes, I'll just say Jesus is Lord and you'll figure out the rest, Okay. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. We are in the seventh Sunday after Pentecost. And so according to the lectionary, lectionary reading A, that means we're working through Matthew. So we read the appropriate portions for today. and We'll see what they teach us. Now the Many, many things in the texts, but one of the common themes, which when I had a look at it, I saw was a clear invitation. And in Hebrew, because we are in Israel after all, in Hebrew, the word for to invite is lahazmin. And uh, it comes from a verb grouping in Hebrew called the hif'il Group of verbs. What's a hif eel group of verbs I hear you ask? Excellent question. Well, it's one of those verbs that denotes an action that you do because it's caused by somebody else doing something to you, right? So somebody invites you. So you can say the word huzmanti, I am invited. I didn't invite myself, somebody else did that. And so now an invitation is therefore by definition participatory. There are two people involved, the inviter and the invited. So let's have a look at uh, using the idea of, in, of invitation and response, Then let's have a look at our first reading, which is Genesis. And uh, one of the effects of the fall is that women are going to have difficulty conceiving. Right, that's actually what you get in Genesis three, uh, and then it says, "and it'll increase the 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 pain of childbirth." It doesn't say it was painless already, okay? Okay, but it was going to be more difficult getting pregnant as well, and that's an interesting thought because God promises Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make you an absolute fantastic nation, a great nation. And then nearly every matriarch has trouble getting pregnant. What an interesting blessing. A blessing and promise that comes with struggle and suffering. So one of the takeaways we learn from this is that not all of uh, the promises that God makes come quick and easy. And I think most of us would be able to admit that, even in our own lives. Come to Jesus. It'll be fantastic. You'll have no problems for the rest of your natural life. Right. We know that. That's quite not true. And so Isaac gets himself a wife. He who finds a wife finds favor with the Lord. Women, I'm sorry, babe, but uh, who finds a husband? It's a good thing, too. But, as we've seen, difficulty getting pregnant. And so Isaac, as we see in our text, prays. And it doesn't actually say what the prayer is or how he prays, but he prays. And, um, And there is a response to that prayer. 20 years later, another takeaway. Not all of our prayers are answered instantly. Now, here's the challenge. If a prayer that you pray is not answered in- instantly, do you have the courage and the faith to keep praying? Or did Isaac just pray once? Dear Lord, my wife would really like to have kids. I'd like to have kids. Is it okay if we have a baby? In Jesus' name, amen. And, uh, and that's it. He got on with life. 20 years later, a baby popped out, and he goes, wow, that's a bit of a surprise or was he persistent and consistent? And if he was, then that's a very good model for us. Okay, so that's a good lesson to learn. If your prayer is not answered, keep praying. Don't give up. When Rebecca's pregnant, something's not quite right. She knows it. She doesn't know exactly what's wrong. So what does she do? She doesn't pray. Isaac prays, Rebecca inquires of the Lord. What exactly that means, don't know. What's interesting is it says, she went to inquire of the Lord. And the verb there is holech, lelechet, which means to walk. There's motion. She went somewhere. Why? Where did she go? Did she visit an oracle? Did she go to a sacred place? We don't know. But she inquires of the Lord, and God speaks to her. In fact, this is going to be the first time in the Bible that uh, God actually speaks to Rebecca. Okay? And um, she and, and God says, "You have twins, and they're clashing." They're struggling with each other, and then God says something very interesting. He says, the older will serve the younger, and that is very countercultural almost across the board. whenever we have the older one, we often give them special rights. even the Torah does that okay but here God says something very interesting it's the the, the, the older will serve the younger. And that ends up becoming the biblical pattern. Now, for those that know me, they, you, you know that uh, I'm a good little Protestant, but I love my icons. <laughs> After being here uh, in Israel for 25 years, I've learned to appreciate that people worship God with their eyes. And in Jewish tradition, you worship God with all of your senses not just hearing a good song or singing something. Okay? You worship God with your sense of smell, your sense of taste, which we will do, okay? and, uh, and, and, and your eyes. because uh, Let's remember, in the old days, the old days, they went that far away, actually, uh, a lot of people couldn't read, and not everybody had a Bible. But you know what you could do? You could always walk into a church, and you could see the gospel written on a wall. In fact, there are some churches, even in this city, where the entire Bible is drawn around the walls of a church. And you can actually take your son or your daughter and you can actually preach the gospel just by going around the room. It's absolutely fantastic. So, what does this icon show us? This actually comes from the uh, uh, Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. It's in the Chapel of the Innocents, which is not always an easy chapel to get permission to go into. So, we see the Holy Family running on the way to Bethlehem, uh, or to Egypt. So, who's sitting on the horse? Mary, fantastic. Who's in front? Joseph, who's sitting on his shoulders? That'd be Jesus. Who's walking behind? That's James. James. You see, in the Orthodox tradition, now, we as Protestants, we have a tendency not to talk to the Orthodox. Uh, we have a tendency only to talk to Catholics. Yes? Usually to say this, you're wrong. Okay? Okay? And not always the most helpful discussion to have. Okay? And, uh, but in the Orthodox tradition, they're holding on to lots of actually Jewish traditions, more than they know. Okay? And in Jewish, from the Bible... The older will serve the younger. So we find that Jacob is chosen, not Esau. Isaac is chosen, not Ishmael. David is chosen, not Reuben, okay, or the other, other brothers. Okay? It's always the younger, the younger, the youngest. And so, uh, according to, so in the, in, the, in the Gospels, how old is Joseph and Mary? We have no idea. Okay, but We always like to think them as very young and uh, afraid and all that kind of stuff. But um, anyone know how old Boaz was when he married Ruth? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so in Jewish tradition, you often have, now I'm not making any statements here, I'm just reflecting a, a, a story, uh, you often have these older men marrying younger women, okay? Um, I've obviously got the best dating apps ever. Uh, but so Joseph according to Jewish tradition uh, had a first wife and she had died and one thing that is uh, true also across cultures is men are absolutely useless on their own and the temple okay was uh, one of the hallmarks of true religion is the taking care of widows and orphans that's reflected in the book of Ezekiel and it's, re, and it's uh, said again repeated in the, gospel, uh, the epistle of James so um, the temple Mary's parents had died where did they live well that's what's known today as the church of St. Anne's if anybody wants to go and visit it okay, that was uh, the Mary's parents house when they die the temple takes care of her and so she grows up in the temple so she's learned lots of Bible. She's hung out with angels. That's why she's not scared when Gabriel comes and visits. She knows who Anna the prophetess is. And they know each other. So when they encounter each other in Luke, it's not a surprise. Uh, and so they, the, it's the temple that marry her off to, to Joseph. Now, I'm reflecting a tradition. You do not have to believe this. But it shows up in our orthodox uh, uh, orthodox um, guys. So Joseph has a, a new wife, and Mary only has one son. Why is that important? Because I tell you, the orthodox Christians want to make sure that there is nobody else's blood like Jesus. There's no half half blood of Jesus. Right? There's no one with half the blood of Jesus. His blood is unique Orthodox tradition. Western tradition, we got other, other ideas, but I actually side with these guys now that I've been thinking about it because it also fits the Jewish narrative and it also answers the question why when uh, Jesus is on the cross, he doesn't turn around to Mary and say, Mary, I'm about to die, but it's okay because um, the other kids will take care of you. You've got, you've got other sons and daughters. The other, the, the other children are not biologically hers and therefore have no legal responsibility to support her. So Jesus makes sure that a disciple will take care of her. Answers that one. But it fits the pattern of the, of the older serving the younger. And so when uh, Jesus resurrects, one of the people that he first goes and sees is James. James. Could you imagine what that conversation was like? Hi, you haven't been nice to mum the last 30 years. Because uh, no one, remember, no one believed that, uh, that she had an immaculate conception. No one. So that poor girl suffered a lot of ridicule to bring the Messiah into the world. So that fits the, the pattern. And what's the invitation that goes out in this story? Well, we discover that uh, there's a dysfunctional family going on here because Isaac prefers Esau and Rebecca prefers Jacob. So we are doomed to failure from the start. Here we do not have a united family. Notice Rebecca has no more kids. These are her only children. These two. And um, and Esau is invited. To sell his birthright. So what should he have said? Should have said no. But the guy, for whatever reason, the uh, he he despises is the is the word that it's described. He, he uh, rejects. His heart is hard, and uh, and it doesn't work. Going on into the, uh, the, the passage from I, Isaiah, now that's a nice, easy one to see where the invitation comes from because it's all over the page, right? The invitation to come and buy something that doesn't cost you anything. You still have to accept the free bread and the free wine. You don't get it just by sitting on, under a tree. You've actually got to be part of the invitation. And one of the things we notice when we look at, this, at the prophets and we look at the Psalms as well is that salvation is always universal. Okay? When, we, when, we, when we go through the Psalms, like Psalm uh, 117, that's always an easy one. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Okay? Well, How are the Gentiles going to be able to praise the Lord? Okay? Someone better go tell them. And uh, so salvation is also uh, a trait that is is given to all the world. God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh, not just upon Jewish people. And so you get this very strong idea coming through the Psalms and the prophets. And here, the invitation is for all the earth, Not not just the Jewish people. Even though the prophet is prophesying To to Israel, he's also told them in um, Isaiah uh, that they are supposed to be a light to the nations. They're supposed to actually get out there and 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 share. And the invitation is not just for you guys; it's going to be for absolutely everybody. And uh, the the way it's described, uh, it's in Hebrew. It's called the the David, the our translation here said it was the faithfulnesses, well, it's because it's in plural, the faithfulness of um, of David. Some translations will call it the sure mercies of David. Now, David, of course, is a very dynamic character uh, in the Bible. When did David need mercy the most? After murder. After adultery. You name a sin, he did it. And uh, when he needed God the most, that's when he got God the most. And so the prophet is saying, come, the invitation. Does, I don't care what you've done. You can't outdo that guy. Right? And that guy produced the Messiah. Okay? Come, it's free. It's free, yes, but you need to come. Come need to be part of the, of the, of the, part of the invitation. There is forgiveness. The prophet does not say, because of sacrifices we kill. Sacrifices have their place. What place do they have, I hear you ask. Well, again, we've discussed it from this pulpit many a time. Sacrifices mean to draw close to. So you draw, what does a sacrifice do? It brings you into the presence of God and it's there in the presence of god that you're going to find forgiveness and mercy and grace as you go through the book of leviticus best book of the bible don't believe me come and ask me during coffee when you read the book of leviticus nice and carefully that's the problem we usually just read the, get to the front page and go leviticus <laughs> back to the next one okay numbers just as boring okay deuteronomy a lot more fun okay but leviticus all the sacrifices, you do a sacrifice and it says you do this, and you, you, know, you pull this bit out and you give that over here and you bit a bit of blood over there. And then the word order says this, and then the priest makes atonement. The sacrifice never makes atonement. Not once does it say the sacrifice makes an atonement. It says the priest does. In fact, in in Leviticus 5, it calls the priest the Kohen HaMashiach. Isn't that an interesting phrase? In English, we just call it the anointed priest. But when you hear it in Hebrew, man, it makes you sit up and pay attention. And then the prophet has this beautiful phrase where he says that uh, God's word will not return to him void. It will achieve everything that, that, that God purposes, that God desires. And that's very important. God's word does not pump, uh, achieve what you desire. It doesn't achieve what I want. It achieves what he wants. Now, sometimes we get very disappointed when we preach the gospel and nothing happens to us. But, but it will achieve what God desires that you can be sure of and that is something we do need to hold on to because it's not about i mean it is about us because god so loved the world we're part of it but we're not the ones ruling and reigning okay god is ruling and reigning we are a delight to be in his kingdom so, God's word will accomplish what he desires. So, he sends out his invitation, and we now have to respond. It's participatory. And so, we come to our gospel portion. The background's all done. Let's have a look at what uh, Jesus is teaching us. And in our gospel portion, we encounter uh, the first of the parables in Matthew. The wise and foolish builders could be a parable, although it's not expressly said that it's a parable. That's uh, a bit earlier. But this one has the nice title, Parable of the uh, uh, the Sower, because, of course, titles were there at the time of Jesus. So he knew what he was doing. And uh, Jesus is getting popular, and he's attracting crowds. And so his solution for to be able to speak to them all is to hop in a boat and uh, sort of get offshore a bit and speak. Now, I'm not um, a professional on sound, but there are probably a few people here that are, and so they might be able to tell us that actually uh, water is a great acoustic amplifier. I don't know, possibly. Even if it's not, it's an incredible backdrop. Okay, the crowd would be like, well, I can't hear a word he's saying, but gee, looks good. Okay. I mean, but who knows, okay there he is and he's teaching away and it says in the text and this is where um, the, the, the gospels reflect their Jewish context very well, he sits down to teach and that is uh, actually a very especially in the second temple period Jewish thing to do you stand up to read the bible and we did the same okay? and then you sit down to teach which I'm not doing okay? and that's not fair by the way Okay, you guys are all having a, thing, having a relaxing time and uh, having to work. But uh, in, the, in the ancient way, Jesus would have sat down to, to teach. You definitely see that in Luke 4 in the synagogue. Where in Luke chapter 4, Jesus it says he stood up to read. reads, and Then he sits down and everybody's like looking at him. And then he begins his explanation here. He does exactly the same thing. He sits down to teach. And he teaches by parables. Now, a parable is a very special teaching device. In Hebrew, a mashal, which is the same word for an example. It's designed to try and make a teaching a little bit more clearer, actually, for you. Now, parables only occur in the Gospels and in rabbinic literature, and they only occur in the synoptic gospels—Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They do not. There are no parables in John. There's no parables in the epistles of Paul. There's no parables in the church fathers. There's no parables anywhere else outside the land of Israel. They only occur in in uh, in rabbinic literature and in and in the gospels. So they're unique to this late Second Temple period, time period. And uh, there was a, a professor by the name of uh, Stephen Notley, who's currently... Uh, have you guys actually proved that Bateside is up there yet? Okay, they, they're going to make an announcement later. He's digging up in the Galilee, um, and uh, he often uses uh, cheap Chinese labor. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. <laughs> okay. um, it's a, a lot of our Chinese brothers and sisters go and, and help him. And... Um, and uh, they're, they're about to show you and and, and reveal the real Batesider, which is the last biblical city of the Gospel city to be found in the New Testament. Okay, it's a big big find. Anyway, uh, when he's not digging stuff up, he's uh, writing books. And uh, he went around and he collected every single parable that there is—four hundred and thirty-six. He put them all into a book, conveniently called uh, parables. <laughs> okay. and, um, and he made a few comments about them. He said, well, first of all, they're all in Hebrew. Okay. Now, that, so the, the text around where the parable might be is often in Aramaic. But then it goes Aramaic, Aramaic, gets to the parable, switches to Hebrew, and then goes back into Aramaic. Why would it do that? Most likely because they were taught in Hebrew. Okay, there are no parables in Greek. Now, I know I, I, my editor uh, challenged me on this and says, oh, but the New Testament's in Greek. Yes, I know the New Testament's in Greek. That's a fourth century Byzantine text. That's like saying, well, this Bible tells me that the parables are in English. Therefore, Jesus spoke English. King James English, nonetheless. Okay, because he was a good, you know, Episcopalian. But uh, certainly wasn't a Baptist. He changed water into wine, so he's definitely on, on our side of the table. The, what it means is, is that when Jesus is speaking and teaching in parables, it's most likely that he is switching to Hebrew, and it gives us the, the, the context for his parable. Parables are also they show no ethnic markers. There's no ethnic identity in parables. It's a man goes out to sow his field. Doesn't say it's a Jewish man. Doesn't say it's in the land of Israel. So you've got a unique teaching device that occurs in this land in Hebrew that has universal application. What an interesting thing to do. Very reminiscent of the Psalms and the prophets. The world in which Jesus uh, comes from. So Jesus teaches, and you, we know, the uh, four soils. And uh, this is a great parable because it actually gives us the, uh, the answers. Well, not all of the answers. Um, Jesus then explains a little bit of the parable for us, although he actually doesn't explain what the good soil is. It tells us what the rocky soils are and the bad soils, but he doesn't actually say what the good soil is. We have to infer that. And just to uh, uh, keep it in context... There's another, um, like, the very, very similar saying from the book of 4th Ezra, which is not in your Bibles, okay? It's in other people's Bibles. 4th um, Ezra, chapter 8, verse 41, for those that are listening on the podcast. It says, For just as the farmer sows seeds on the ground, and plants a multitude of plants, yet not all that has been sown will sprout in due season, neither do all those that have been planted take root, so not all those who have been sown in the world will be saved and uh, this is a, a text that seems to have been written around the year seventy or so 60, seventy and as Jerome attests, he found a Hebrew copy, so most likely it was in Hebrew. the idea of a farmer. Coming out and sowing was um, was a, a common story. Now parables usually contain a shock, something that makes you sit up and pay attention and go, well, "That's not right." And uh, the shock in this one is the way our farmer farms. He's doing what's called the broadcasting farming. He's like throwing your seeds out like this. You know, there's a normally you can just sow in lines and you put them in very carefully. So this farmer is either really, really, really rich and doesn't care or he is really, really stupid. No one throws seed onto rocky soil and expects that it's gonna produce a crop. Oh, there's some rocky ground. We've got lots of rock in Israel. I think I'll just throw that in and see what happens. Oh, it didn't work. A normal farmer would till the land, prepare the soil and a very expensive seed, put it in. Right? So the listeners are going, wow, who is this farmer? What is he doing this for? And then the explanation comes. Uh, we might, the, the the seed is the word of God, and the soils are those who are hearing. They're people. And four is a very biblical number, as I'm sure you'll probably no doubt aware where do we find fours in the bible anyone know four gospels good one nice if the yep there's uh, four faces of angels that guard god Right? You've got four points of a compass, you've got the four corners of the earth, the four winds, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the four, the four cups of wine that you drink at Passover, the four questions that we answer. Yeah, four, 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 four. So when you come to the New Testament, it's really good to have four Gospels. If there was only three Gospels, most of us would be sitting around going, we've lost one. And if we've got a fifth Gospel, most of us are going, oh, I'm not so sure about that guy. Okay? fours are a good number. And in the of Avot, which is the first part of the Mishnah, which is the first part of the Talmud, which occurs somewhere between the years 100, 100, 200-year window there, uh, in chapter 5, verse 15 for the podcast. Uh, it describes that there are four types of disciples uh, for us. What sort of disciples are there? Well, Sorry? Are about, yes, there's four mothers as well, the, the matriarchs, and the the care of God says there are four types of disciples, four types of students that study the word of God. There are those that are quick to learn, but they're quick to forget, so they end up with no knowledge at all. There is a, one that is slow to learn, man, he struggles to learn anything, this kid, and he's slow to forget, so he still ends up in a pretty bad, bad way. There's a guy who's slow to learn and he's even worse because he's quick to forget. It's just in one ear and out the other. And the last and good disciple is the one who is quick to learn and very slow to forget. And so what type of disciple are we? That's what this parable is challenging us and also inviting us. The farmer comes out And he is incredibly gracious and merciful. And even though he probably knows that it's not going to work, he will disperse his seed on the rocky soil anyway. The invitation is for everyone. Not just for the good guys. Everybody. And what type of soil do we want to have? Do you want to have, do you want to be the the disciple who instead of listening to the word of God, we're too busy listening to the world and the what and what they say we should be, and what sort of images we need to have, and what sort of pronouns we're supposed to be presenting or saying or challenging? And uh, or, or actually, are you a disciple who actually is hungry for the word of God? Are you? Because that's the invitation. To be someone who is thirsty and hungry for righteousness. And where are you going to find that? Find it in these pages. And Jesus says and closes the parable with a very classic Hebrew idiom. He who has ears, let him hear. Now unless you have a physical deformity, you've got ears. That's not what that means. It's are you willing to listen? Or do you want to listen to the world? Because it will only give you a little brief moment of satisfaction. And then it will go away and dry up. Because this world honestly doesn't care about you. It really doesn't. It says that it might. It says that it will make you happy. If you buy 10 more of these and get one for free, you'll be great got no money in the bank, but don't no mind, I'll take your money and close all the banks anyway. Or are you going to take something that lasts? That ultimately doesn't cost anything because he paid the price. You know, drink water that fills you up and satisfies you. And the thing about hearing in Hebrew, the same word "shma" in Hebrew also is the same word for obey. He who has ears, let him hear. Which means also, put it into practice. You can't just listen to the words of Jesus and go, that that guy's all right. I've had a fantastic Bible study. I shall now leave my front door going, I know a little bit more about Jesus. And then hop in your car, and start smashing things and getting very upset. No. No. He who has ears, let him hear. Blessed is he who hears my words and they obeys them, does them, puts them into practice. That's the invitation for us today, brothers and sisters, on this seventh Sunday of Pentecost. You've come here. You've heard the word of God. You came because you answered a call to come here. Yes, you did. You might not have known it. But you hear. Jesus gives us the invitation so free so powerful, so wonderful, which he gives willingly to everyone. And then our response to that invitation. Let's not despise it. Let's not reject it. Let's embrace it. Let's acknowledge it. Let's take it. Let's accept it. Not just me, us. It's not just about me. It's about us. And uh, and then let's put it into practice. Encouraging each other to do so loving each other, particularly when we fall, picking each other up. It is the sure mercies of David. There is only one unforgivable sin and none of you are going to do it. Okay, So we can be forgiving. We can be generous. We can be merciful. We can be humble. We can be kind. And that world needs what we're going to tell them. It really does. So be encouraged. Accept that invitation today